the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Lord, I just pray you would give me the uh, words that you want for today and put anything in you want and take anything out you want in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Wonderful verse, eh? Jenny and I once attended a wedding uh, of one of our youth group girls, and it was going really well. The uh, service was lovely, and everything looked great, and bridesmaids were lovely. Everything looked good. And things were going really well until... The speeches at the reception, when things just kind of got a little bit awkward. The father of the groom got up to speak, and he spent most of the speech explaining how tough things were in his day, and how his son's success was mainly due to much improved technology. And instead of delighting in the fact that he had paved the way for the next generation, he got into sort of like this comparison game, which was mainly centered on himself. And he seemed unable to bring himself to honor his son, the groom, for having made some quite substantial success in sport. And so a valuable moment was lost. How do you respond when others prosper, when others do well? Are you glad when good things happen to friends? Do you celebrate or, or do you resort to the great Kiwi put-down, otherwise known as the tall poppy syndrome? <laughs> I think as a nation we, we love winners, but we find it also very easy to pull down those, those winners to our level in a heartbeat when they muck up. Yeah. Sportsmen and, and, and women often go from hero to zero in one easy slip-up. True humility is actually not putting yourself down or others down or thinking little of yourself. True humility is actually thinking more about others and rejoicing in their success. I didn't actually ask Aaron if I could tell this little story, but I... I I, um, I'm pretty sure he'll be okay with it. I was really proud of Aaron um, on Friday night. Yeah, we just two nights ago. We, we had very limited time, uh, having been rained off a job for two days. And uh, this job was rapidly going well over the quoted price. And the job was more than adequate, really, and it was, it was quite nicely all packed before the rain. But it wasn't perfect. And I was keen to just accept it and move on, but Aaron said respectfully, Dad, it's not our usual standard. It's good, but it's not great. And within an hour or two, uh, we achieved a much better result, a much better finish. And I was really pleased that he actually challenged me to finish well uh, at our expense and that somehow I had passed on a baton somewhere along the line of no compromise. <laughs> so, well done, Aaron. We're concluding 1 Peter today, and we're in chapter 5, where Peter is 
actually a bit more upbeat as he winds up this uh, wonderful letter to his beloved disciples scattered all throughout Asia Minor. And he begins with instructions for ministry, really, to those leaders, really. And he encourages the leaders to shepherd the flock, not lording it over them, but by proving to be an example to them. Um, And he says, young men uh, are to be subject to the elders or their elders, and everyone is to clothe themselves with humility one towards another. I just love that. We're going to unpack that in a little bit. But first of all, we're going to read 1 Peter 5, verses 1 to 11. Let's ready read. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now remember, we've talked a lot about this letter being about suffering, salvation, and submission. But anyway, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief, pre, uh, chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen and establish you to him. Be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Great passage, isn't it? So I've called this message today, The Way Up is Down. Because in Christ, we are to clothe ourselves with humility. I love the imagery of of putting on a garment of humility, wrapping ourselves around with teachability and Finally, doing up the cloak of grace with which we learn to serve others. Peter writes this from his own hard experience, from his journey in Christ, from being a a strong-willed young know-it-all with foot-and-mouth disease. He was now a seasoned, you know, older statesman in the Lord who was still paying the price 
of discipleship in blood, sweat, and tears. Trial after trial had knocked off a lot of the, the rough edges on, in Peter's life. And, and as a young disciple, Peter had made bold, rash statements, you know, to impress others before being put to the test and failing to make a public stand, as, as we well know, when it really mattered. And when that happened in that courtyard, on the night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus turned to him. No, actually it was, the, the, it was at the Last Supper. Jesus said to Peter after a big statement, Peter, Satan is going to sift you like wheat. Years later in this letter, he was now able to say, humble yourself because if you don't, the Lord will use trials, others, and even Satan to get the job done if we fail to humble ourselves. So what does it mean to humble yourself? Jeremy, a couple of years ago, explained that uh, the use of the word humbled has actually uh, become a bit more widespread and, in fact, doesn't always fit where, where it's used. People say, oh, I'm very humbled to be asked to speak today. And uh, what they really are saying, I'm very honoured to be asked to speak today. So we often mix up the word humbled and honoured. Uh, and, and I watched a little clip, a YouTube clip, where the guy said, I'm humbled and honoured to be asked to, to do this today, <laughs> to be here today. And um, can I tell that little story about the, the Trinity, um, I guess... Yeah, you can, I can, okay. <laughs> it wasn't very long after this, this explanation that Jeremy gave, very good explanation of the difference between being humbled and being honoured or using the word humbled where it should be honoured. And we were all doing the, the, the music for the Christmas Eve over at Trinity, big combined service. Anyway, we're, we're going great guns until one song came up. They were all just interspersed, little one-off songs. The song came up, and Jeremy had a complete blank. He just could not remember the opening intro to We Three Kings or something. I don't know what it was. <laughs> anyway, we finally got it, and we went for it, and we sat down, and Jeremy whispers, Now that's being humbled. <laughs> <laughs> so it was quite funny because it was only like literally a month after you'd seen uh, this wonderful teaching. Anyway, yeah, I mean, it was, it was so rare that that's what made it really funny. <laughs> yeah. So what does it mean to humble yourself for Captain Naaman of the Aramean army? Humbling himself meant going to Samaria, Samaria, to seek healing for his leprosy. And I love it that it was a servant girl that had been captured in a spat with Israel that convinced her master, well, actually her mistress's husband, um, to, to even go to Samaria, of all places, to visit the prophet Elisha. This little girl who'd been wrenched from her parents and homeland, ended up having far more faith than the king of Israel, who Naaman went to first, because he was furious. 
He was furious enough at being asked to heal an enemy that he tore his clothes before Elisha heard of it and thankfully redirected this proud man to his humble little cottage in the country. Now this was a guy who was basically number two in the kingdom where he'd come from. He was a big wheel, big deal. He thought he was a big deal anyway. And he was this captain of the army. He just said to this one, and they'd go, say to that one, and they'd come. And he had complete control of the army. And here he was in a little desert, deserted place where Elisha lived, standing outside a little cottage, and the guy doesn't even come to the door. This was a proud man about to be humbled, expecting a full-on welcome Elijah instead sends out the servant to tell this proud man, go and dip in our lovely Jordan River seven times and you'll be healed. And his reaction was, we've got far better rivers where I come from. But anyway, Elisha's seemingly rude, his seemingly rudeness was all part of God's plan to humble this proud man and save a whole nation see god's got the bigger picture in mind and pride gets in the way of that but it took another humble servant to actually convince naaman to complete the task this time it was one of his own saying hey boss um if he'd asked you to climb a mountain you probably would have done it but he's only asking you to go for a swim I mean, nowadays we do it for fun. And so he kind of convinced his, his boss to do it. You see, the way up for Naaman was down in 2 Kings 5 verse 10. Praise God for humble servants, amen, who heard from God. Firstly, the little girl back in Aramea, and secondly, the servant of Naaman in Samaria. They turned Naaman's heart around. They turned him around. He, they turned his, his butt into because. At the first verse, it says he's this and he's that and he's everything else, but he was a leper. Just a little wee word changed his own whole image, countenance, and what he, what he thought about the most. He was a leper. But he turned that but into a because. And that because of this encounter, he received salvation. It says in verses 18, in about 18, it says he went home and he said, I'm never going to worship my other gods again. I'm going to worship the true God. He changed a nation. Sometimes God uses the faith of others to even reach proud people. For King David, humbling himself meant listening to a story about two sheep owners, <laughs> one rich, one poor, in Second Samuel 12, 7. When the poor one gets ripped off by the rich one, David is furious. And Nathan, the prophet, telling the story, says it straight, you are the man. You are that man. You see, David's lust leading to adultery and murder made him the villain in Nathan's cleverly told story. 
David's reaction and complete repentance, recorded in Psalm 51, turns away God's wrath. Fortunately for David, the way up for him was down. However, he kept his kingdom, but it didn't leave him unscathed. His worship and his influence increased, but his family was a mess. There is sometimes a consequence of gross sin, or any sin really. But again, we see God's heart of mercy by making Bathsheba, the married woman David sinned with, becoming the great, 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 and lots more greats, grandmother of Jesus. Do we see God's heart in this? Firstly, in the first story, do we see God's heart saying, that this precious girl who'd been stolen away from her family is going to become great and famous for doing that little act of telling her, her boss, I know a guy, he heals leprosy. And secondly, where he uses this encounter, this um, sin, and turns it around, turns it on his head. And then there's Peter, who denies knowing the king of kings because he was worried what a servant girl might think of him. All the talking up came crashing down in a heartbeat in Luke twenty-two fifty-seven. You know, minutes he could never relive, but he could and he did repent, unlike Judas, of that fireside meltdown. And we know a few days later, or might have been a week or so later. There's another fire. There's another fire on the beach where Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Jesus cooked breakfast. Isn't that cool? Two fires. You know, God uses things that are familiar to us to bring us back, didn't he? He used that, that moment on the beach, that fire, to remind Peter of the fire where he let him down. What about you and me? Are there things we regret? Huge question mark. Yes, of course there are. I'm sure every one of us has a list of regrets. When at the, what, you know, at, we have these regrets. At the time, there seemed to be no way up. When we look at our mistake or our regret and we think, boy, I can't fix this. There's no way up. However we failed, though, what matters is that we got back up again in those times. Do you know today you have survived your very worst day ever? If you're here today, you've survived your worst day ever. So when we're down, just remember there's one way, and that's to go up. In God's kingdom, the way up is the way down. Peter implores us in verse 7 to cast all our anxiety, fear, and worry on him. Isn't that the key to this? When we're down, to cast all of the worry, not just a piece of it and hang on to some, not just, you know, the stuff we can see a, a solution to, but to all our worries are to be cast on Jesus. 
he, he, his care is the reason. His care is the reason, the cure, and the method for getting back up. That's one of Jenny's most favorite verses, I think. I know her well enough to know it probably is her most favorite verse. Cast all your cares and worries on him. I think it's in the living version. For he careth for you. I just think that is simple, but just it's so powerful. Just in that one verse we get the cure and the method for getting back up. So number two, we're sort of not really doing numbers today, but number two was resist the devil and he will flee from you. Once we humble ourselves, you see, we're, we're forgiven and set free. We are a real threat in that condition of being forgiven and set free. We are a real threat to the domain of darkness. In our restored state of mind, Christ then gives us an authority to resist the devil, verse 8. Peter says to be alert and of sober mind. And if we can do that, remain alert and of sober mind, we can push back the darkness in whatever situation you find yourself in. You just need to take up your authority in Christ. All it takes is for us to stand firm in faith, Peter says. Resist the devil and tell him that he may not devour us, our family, our business, church, and others who are precious to God. The King James Version I love because it says he prowls around looking who he may devour, other more modern Translations don't actually add that may in, but I'm saying let's tell him that he may not. This is not a one-off. This is something we might have to do daily. We might have to do it even during the day, telling the enemy just to back off. Whereas the first point, only we can humble ourselves. But number two, this is something we continue to do number three we receive finally peter says god himself i love that it's just like came as a sort of moment for me that god himself it says will perfect confirm strengthen and establish us in verse 10 once we deal with sin his way through repentance what a list for those who have hit rock bottom and are looking up in christ if you're at that point you're ready to go you're looking up you're in christ and you've you've asked forgiveness for that sin you will be god himself will perfect confirm strengthen and establishment you. So I did a little study on the Greek meanings of each of those words. So we're going to pop those up. And the first one is perfect. Katatize. <laughs> and it means to be completed. Or I love this, mended. As in like the disciples mending the nets when Jesus called them. So perfect 
in, in the Greek there really has this, this sense of being complete. We are complete in Christ. And God himself is going to do that for us. The second one is to confirm. Kuru. That's actually got a little bar above the second O. And it makes to make valid. It's to ratify. And in other words, it gives like a stamp on our life to impart authority so we don't stand alone. He's confirming us. It's like, yeah, there's my boy. There's my girl. <laughs> Number three, strengthen. This, I'm not sure how to say it. Tis, tisanu, tisanu, maybe. Divine promises. We have this wealth. I mean, I, I, someone might be able to say how many promises there are in the Bible. I think it's about 1,700 or something. Um, someone's worked it out. These divine promises are ours in Christ. What a privilege. What a blessing to have these, these, this list of promises that we can tap into. You know, some people have those little promise books or boxes and they pull out a promise. You know, I'm not sure that I'm into that, but anyway, um, we have to just know that they're there and, get, uh, get, and God will give them to us as we need him, I reckon. All right, I was, <laughs> I was about a quarter of the way, wasn't it? 8,000, what was it? 8810. Promises of God in the Word. Isn't that incredible? Thank you, Nicole. Yeah. <laughs> so I also think we can't just pick verses that we like out of the Word. We need the worst, we need the verses. We need the verses that we don't like at times, that challenge us, that we can't even understand. There's some verses I don't get. But isn't it great God's bigger than our minds? Wow, so good, so good. What's the last one there, thanks, guys? To establish, sterizo. It means to fix, to make fast, to set or establish truth. So if we run them all together, we're being confirmed by his, you know, this, this thing of being ratified. We've got this strengthening. We've got this um, establishing in this truth. And we're being mended at the same time, like those nets. You know, nets only tend to get ripped when they're being used, when the fish get a bit excited or when we catch something that isn't a fish. And... Um, that's us, isn't it? We often get a bit ripped because we're actually out there doing it. But God is in the process of always fixing us, mending us, ratifying us, establishing us, and fixing us up to go again. Amen. So be encouraged, church. After looking into all these meanings, there's no way I want to wallow in the past. How about you? Let's move forward. Let's move forward from the past. There's nothing impossible for God. Once we hit rock bottom, we humble ourselves, we cast all our cares on him, we resist the devil and receive this equipment from God himself for life in the kingdom from God himself. It's up, up and away. <laughs> I, I, I don't know where that came from, but I, just, I must have watched some comic strip and... The little Superman said, up, up and away. So I wrote it down. 
All oh, right, there's some balloons on the picture. Up, up and away. That's that's us. That's us. We want to soar, eh? Amen. There should be no looking back for the forgiven Christian. The best is yet to come. Amen. We're going to leave Peter for, for a while. Maybe come back to Second Peter one day. But our next series is state of mind and next week we're going to be looking at the place of worship forgiveness mental health and so much more over the next couple of weeks to have the state of mind that jesus wants his followers to have state of mind okay let's pray father i just thank you for a wonderful book we've just finished with one peter lord i just thank you for peter for his faithfulness for getting up from rock bottom and starting again in you. Lord, that's what you want to do for each one of us. You want to take what we, what we have, take what is and make it beautiful. We might not think we have a gift like Teresa or someone who we think has got these wonderful gifts, but Lord, you've given each of us a gift. And we just pray that each gift will fit in like this tapestry and like this jigsaw into your big picture lord that even if we're just uh, serving in a in a in a little way we can change a nation like the servant girl in the story of naaman and elisha father i pray that we might just see your expanse and your your bigness from today's message to see that our problems are not big problems to see that you've got the power to change whatever the situation is. Lord, we just pray for, for a humble heart, that you would humble us one way or the other, or that better still, we humble ourselves. We ask all this in Jesus' name as we go from here in your power, refilled with your spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.